when Jason Kelsey thinks he's already like set the bar of being an unreal individual human being, he's like, hold my beard. No, just kidding. I'll take it with me jumping out of the box to be amongst the people. If there was ever a Philadelphia Eagle that I wanted the entire world to intimately know, it would have been Jason Kelsey. Like what he did and pulled at the Buffalo Bills game was nothing compared to what he did at the Super Bowl parade. Like that man is Philly through and through. And even before everything else, he was like, he's my dad's favorite Eagle of all time. He is in my top three without question. Like last year, before all of the Taylor Swift stuff, I was going to get a Philadelphia Eagles jersey for the center of the Philadelphia Eagles because I was like, not only do I love Jason Kelsey, but this is like a fun, unique, obscure jersey to get. So I, I give up the fact that I will no longer have an obscure Jason Kelsey jersey, but that's okay because you all deserve to know who Jason Kelsey is. Yeah, it's a really wild concept of a, uh, and like you say this, and we say this all the time, of a football center being like one of the most beloved, like currently public figures, like in the like pop culture, and like just general zeitgeist. And there were so many people who were like, oh yeah, definitely maybe sign of retiring, blah, blah, blah. No, like this is just Jason Kelsey being Jason Kelsey. This Wait. is, this, this, this does not signify anything about Jason Kelsey's future, Jason Kelsey's decisions, Jason Kelsey's career. This is just Jason Kelsey being Jason Kelsey. And this is off-season Jason Kelsey. Tell me you're not an Eagles fan without telling me you're an Eagles fan. Think that this is Jason Kelsey announcing a retirement. This is just off-season regimen. Yeah, it, it was like, he's like, I'm going to be part of Bill's Mafia, but against Bill's Mafia in the same fashion at the exact same time. Man of the people. It's, you know, only in a way that Jason Kelsey can. People's sexiest man alive. Without yeah. question. Yeah. I, sexy Batman. And Parker agrees. He's yelling about it. <laughs> it was, this weekend, it was the only fun of football I had was watching Jason Kelsey be Jason Kelsey. And everyone loved the fact that Jason Kelsey was Jason Kelsey. That we needed to open up our Formula One podcast talking about a football thing that is so obscure that it is the center of the Philadelphia Eagles. If you want to understand me as a sports fan... Go watch Jason Kelsey's parade speech when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. That's it. That's me. Recording from New York and Los Angeles, your hosts, Nicole Katz and Brianna Klein, are lined up on the grid for this week's Gridwalk. Engines are fired up, ready to broadcast to you every Thursday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and more. Subscribe, like the video, turn on auto downloads, and leave a review to provide us with a fresh set of tires. Today, Gridwalk will take pit stops at... Before we get into the formal formation lab here, I think we should address the elephant that's stuck down Nicole's throat. Yeah, um, my voice is like just kind of here and then sometimes not here and then there and sometimes not anywhere. And so it's currently gone. So um, if you see it, let me know because it would be really cool to just like have my normal general voice back. Um, so apologies and or you're welcome for my voice depending on your thoughts and feelings about it lots of tea yay shout out to lots of tea this episode of Gridwalk is brought to you by tea and honey (laughs) well on this week's episode of Gridwalk we have a lot to get to we're gonna start out with a bunch of hot takes about the initial car launch season so we're, we're gonna react to McLaren surprise dropping their livery very early Alpine can't stop teasing pink, and I'm excited if they follow through. Uh, Williams might be rebranding. We discuss whether they need another one. The Visa Cash App... Okay, how many times is it going to take me to get this right? Ready? The Visa Cash App RB rollout was a mess, Uh, and so we're going to talk about it. Moving on from Overheated, we have another Road to 2026 update because we got an announcement of a new street track coming to the calendar in 2026. The Madrid GP, which was the worst kept secret ever, has been officially announced. Guess what? Cars are back on track on Monday. 
except it's for tire testing. So we are going to play Tire Taboo to explain everything you need to know about tire testing, both for the one that's specifically coming up and just some general fun facts about tire testing. And last but not least, we're gonna end the show with back-to-back -back soap boxes because there's some stuff that is uh, definitely for sure racing related. Definitely we're gonna make those connections that we just really want to talk to you all about. So take it away, voiceover man. It's lights out and away we go on this week's Gridwalk. Gridwalk, please beware of overheating your tires with your hot takes. I feel like F1 has a very consistent schedule. And in the last week, McLaren said, bleep that. We're going to just wipe all of our social media and then drop a livery to you on a random weekday in January when nothing else is going on. Whatever it takes. That was, they said, they literally right <laughs> away, they say, they told us, they deleted everything, and then they said, whatever it takes, that's what's about to happen. Apparently, that's, that's what they believe it takes, maybe thus far. They archived everything on their Instagram page and dropped this tagline of whatever it takes uh, to generate buzz and hype for what seemed to be some kind of rebrand for the 2024 season. Did it work? Did it generate buzz? Did you get hyped? Uh, I initially got like really hyped. I initially was very excited. I initially was like, oh, it's going to be really big. And like, we're it's January and car launch is coming up and they're going to do a bunch of teasing and Easter eggs of all of this different kinds of stuff. Because now there's, they went from having McLaren does social media very well. We have talked previously about how they utilize their drivers for content. They create things. They post consistently on like race weekends and they create content for things. So that's a lot of content to go and archive. So to think that they're going to be doing like a whole new take on their brand was really what I thought we were getting. So I thought that initial hype was really great. Now, fast forward to the next day and they give us delivery. Yeah. Like yeah yeah i you know i think i was out on this earlier than you were because they archived everything and then released this whatever it takes video and as soon as i saw the video i was kind of out on the like we're wiping everything because it's not a rebrand it's a new tagline for the season but to me it wasn't like to wipe everything and to start fresh, especially a brand like McLaren that does social media so well. And there's so much value in those posts that none of us can have access to now. Like I'm just thinking about sponsorship value, like all those sponsors who had sponsored posts with them that are now poof gone. Uh, but all of that aside, I feel like to pull a Taylor Swift, you really need to make a hard left. And I felt like McLaren like didn't even change lanes. Yeah. Um, so pulling a Taylor Swift is in a meaning will about to be addressed, but almost I have to say that when I saw McLaren doing it, I feel like the wiping of social media type thing is usually done in a quote unquote terms of necessity. And I didn't necessarily feel like McLaren needed was in that place. But right. what this was, was there was a whole big thing with Taylor Swift before she announces her reputation album. It was after her 1989 era. There's some drama online with Kim and Kanye and blah, blah, blah. Taylor Swift is over party. It's a whole lot of drama that gets me very emotional and it gets to Taylor Swift disappearing from the public eye for an entire year. She goes and writes this album and then she comes back of social media wipes everything and starts dropping videos of a snake here and there. And it leads to the announcement of look what you made me do music video. Ultimately the reputation album that goes to number one becomes one of the biggest like tours at that time. And like eventually leads to Taylor Swift becoming continuing <clears throat> what like she ends up being, but wiping your social media and reclaiming, her reputation and identity is like a kind of a really big shift of how it was a, a, a bigger definition of a rebrand. It is like the most like bold take you can do to be completely wiping every piece of strategy and history and content that you have so 
strategically meant and created for your followers to completely wipe and start over. And I am so used to seeing when people start to do that, that like it could be something big. So I had some slight hope because of my reputation era influence of Taylor Swift that McLaren could do maybe something really, really cool and maybe completely change their livery for their car launch or their race suits or I don't know, something maybe. I was too hopeful because we didn't get that. We got, yeah. uh, we got, we got, we got a very simple livery and we knew there was going to be black, you know, it was, I'm not impressed. I'm disappointed. I think that Taylor Swift put out this framework in like, I think it's important to recognize the people who are not watching on YouTube that like 1989 is happy, go lucky, light blue kind of pop bubble, bubblegum pop. Not that the album is bubblegum pop, but that's the branding. And the right. reputation is snakeskin, black, like dark. Yeah. I am angry. Like it is as left turn as in brand as you can make it. And then, so the strategy of her wiping everything that people have taken over has um, triggers in everyone's brain in like pop culture. Oh, we're about to make a big change here. A big reinvention, like is completely going to be, you know, reputation was and continues to be what I think like the opposite of what most, most people would think Taylor Swift. And then you hear reputation, you're like, nah, that's not Taylor Swift or like that type of thing is not the like bubbles and sparkles. And it's that like quote unquote darker era or one of them of Taylor Swift. So it's a a reinvention of such things. So if McLaren was going to reinvent and that was kind of their mission and, it seems uh, like a kind of missed the mark. Big missed the mark for me, uh, but for it sure. got our attention. And then the second way they got our attention is I'm so used to F1 teams following the structure of they announce a car launch date, and then at the car launch we get the livery. Some teams might show us the actual car, but we really just get the livery and like the season branding. And McLaren in the middle of January when nothing else was going on was like, guess what, by the way, with no notice, here is <laughs> delivery. And I was expecting because of everything else, I was like, okay, their whatever it takes video seems the same. Like everything kind of seems similar. But when I, when we actually got to their livery, it's last year without the blue. And what I was, um, I just want to point out that I was originally swiping like watching the video i was taking it in at the beginning of the video there is an all papaya car in the wind tunnel and it's just all papaya with no like sponsors on it but i went oh my gosh are we gonna actually get like an all papaya car the same way ferrari is normally like all red like that would be sick like i was getting so excited for them to then at the end of the video reveal last year's livery without the blue i felt such whiplash because I actually got excited for the like fake car at the beginning of the video. Yeah, it's like a big like, whoa, and then it's like, just kidding, here's this. Um, I also then when a team has to, or not has to, but I think it was either the following day or shortly after they posted the photos of their livery and the car reveal was details you might have missed. And it's, you know the kiwi bird and the, and it's just uh, the, the letter, the numbers are in Chrome and uh, that's not, this is not a big shocking details that I want to be seeing and or expect that I thought you were going to do something earth shattering and cool. So uh, it felt like a lot of, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, You said something in one of the short form videos we put out which was this all didn't feel worth the social media admin having to click through and archive every past post. And I just, I just felt for that admin and you're so right. It didn't feel worth it. Yeah. That's so much effort that they had to go through and click all of that for that. That's what we're going to get. And I think to your point of in the middle of January, when the new cycle for F1 isn't necessarily like popping too much, you have the opportunity to really shake it up and make like headlines really interesting. And they still got headlines. They still got headlines that they dropped the livery. But I think it could have been so much more interesting. It's such a better story if the livery 
looked different than last year's minus the blue. And yeah, okay, I guess you can point at the minuscule detail differences, but not enough to, you know, be making this much of a hubba-baloo in the middle of January. So what's the car launch? What is the car launch going to be? I, Apparently I, they're showing us the actual car, which I am excited about if that's the case. So we're going to see the car a couple weeks earlier than having to... So is it like this is testing. the opposite of last year's vibes where like last year they're coming in immediately being like, we don't feel good. We yep. don't feel good. Wait for our upgrades exactly. and we don't feel great about this. And now they're like... We're so hyped. We're going to show you the livery early. Now we're going to show you the car. Here's all of it. Here's all of it right away because we feel so good about it all the time. Yay. I Before we wrap this up, and I think we should, since this is our first official livery, I do think we should rate it. Um, I think it is important to note that like they did get the headlines. F1 is a sport. Their goal should always should be to always be in the news cycle. And I don't, F1 more than any other sport I follow really goes dormant over periods of time. And they'll, I think car launch season is good for fan expectations, but it's not good for individual teams getting attention because we'll have 10 car launches, the 10 liveries, a couple new cars, all this stuff in a two week period. And all of our attentions are scattered. Uh, so McLaren did achieve getting all of the attention and it's good for F1 because in a time in the news cycle where we normally wouldn't be paying attention to F1, they were bringing F1 back into the news cycle. But to your earlier point, imagine if they dropped a, a livery that was actually special or a rebrand or a change that really capitalized on this extra attention. So like I, the marketing fundamentals of the rollout strategy, I really liked. I just think what they were actually delivering fell a little short. And for that reason, this livery to me is a solid five out of 10. It is so middle of the road. Is it ugly? No. Is it interesting, surprising, fun? <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it's fine. That is like, it is fine. I agree with you. It's a five. I don't dislike it. I just don't think it's necessarily special. Will there be liveries that fall beneath it? Most likely, I think that's just because I currently have low expectations, even though right. I always want them. To, I always want teams to do something really fun. But yeah, it's fine. But they didn't do much. Alpine is teasing a pink camo livery. And if it's a tease and it's not the full livery for the entire season, I will revolt. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I get, I'm getting very excited anytime they post like some kind of pink livery something. But I know it's gonna, I, I'm saying I know because I'm trying to prepare myself. It is going to come with the caveat of first XYZ races and I'm then just gonna be sad. And I'm just, I'm just gonna be a little bit sad. Unless if they're gonna do it for a full season, then it's gonna be this camo all pink all season. Like that's why my brain sees it's happening. Like they're never just going to give us like the pink livery all the time. It's going to be pink camo all the time, or it's still just going to be, ah, here's pink, but it's going to be for three races. Sorry about it. Cry about it. Me, me, me. Give us pink Alpine, all the time. Alpine's pink livery that they ran for three races last year would have been a top three livery if they ran it for the full season. The pink livery was so much better than the blue livery. It wasn't even close. And if you haven't seen on social media, you should go to their social media and check it out. They're, they've posted two photos of two different parts of the car. And it's just this, uh, like, I, I would call it Barbie pink, but like camo pattern over it. That would look incredible, especially in a fleet of F1 cars that is going that are all going to be way too black this year because of the carbon fiber. Yeah, it gives the opportunity for them to really stand out and be really cool. It is definitely like something trendy. It just liveries have been so boring and lame. Standard liveries have been so just like one solid color and, you know, even... Uh, going back to our rankings of the year like it was the one-off special liveries like were okay too like they come on step it up do something really cool like impress us make something you know and especially pink right now is a hot color hello it I, god we're not even at the barbie segment yet i'm not letting myself get there but like pink is in and alpine you have the opportunity to do something like real great and cool and 
you can run with it and do something here and you know don't don't be a tease and then disappoint don't be a tease like mclaren maybe <laughs> we get to talk about williams again williams fangirls Ooh. <laughs> We mentioned this in the Yellow Sector notes last week, but there was a slight leak of what could be a potential new Williams rebrand. Uh, I would describe it as the W no longer has the slashies in it and the overall font seems softer. And they seem to be going from like a dusty blue to a bright blue if this rebrand is happening. But let's just live in a world as if Williams is rebranding. Do you like the potential rebrand? I don't think I like it, but I don't know why. I think my brain just goes <laughs> into the place of I didn't feel it was necessary or didn't really see it coming. So until I see more, but my initial my it, I my initial thing looking at it is I I don't compute. I need to be sold. I need I need more of the fluff behind it. Um, but I, I I'm ready for that to be a hot take. I just think I need to, I need to see more. What about you? What are your thoughts on on what we've seen so far? I'm using the word rebrand because I don't know what else to call it. But it feels like a slight shift, and they don't seem to be billing it as anything else because we haven't even heard about it yet. It's just like these like small things that definitely seem to accidentally be leaking as they update their materials and and things. So. I, I actually do like it because uh, I like the bright blue and I think leaning into the bright blue, it's the same thing as the pink. I want fun, bright, exciting colors. So I don't need like a dusty matte blue. I want a bright, exciting blue. And, like that's more fun to me, especially because these are race cars. Like the brighter, more exciting it is, I will be more excited. Like I don't think race cars need to be sophisticated. I think race cars should be fun <laughs> and a little... You know what my judge is? Is that if Cameron was sitting in front of two logos for race car teams, whichever one he would point at and say is cooler is the one they should be. And I think the new versions we're seeing, he would point at because the blue is more fun. And that's the only reason I like it. Yeah, I think that, you know, that that that's a good, fair point. Maybe my brain's also, and we haven't gotten there yet, but a lot of what we've seen of teasing of the new Williams branding, the blue is looking very similar to like question mark, question mark, sister, like Red Bull teams, like branding is going to be like a lot of their teasing stuff is also this like really bright blue. Um, True. Like, so maybe I'm just like, wow, everyone's kind of just doing a lot of like, here's a blue square with white bold font and outlines and teasing of a rebrand and a name or something like it's all like different and new things. Maybe I'm just like, Hey, everyone's like really doing the blue thing. And that's just what it is. I mean, I have faith that like, I love when Williams does things and if they're leaning into some kind of new re, you know, rebranding of it all. I, it could be tied to different types of things. I mean, we know that like Puma is going to be their news, like, their like connections with Puma now and doing a lot of like that clothing supply stuff could lead to like a new change and new image of wanting to be like a little bit of a different image so maybe that could just be tied to kind of getting to like that different side of the of a fan base yeah uh, I, I agree with everything you said there um, I do think I always believe there's too much blue on the grid <laughs> and not enough other fun colors. I think that in my head, Alpine is pink because they're telling me they're pink. And until they tell me otherwise, I, I will believe they're pink. And that's why I'm okay with all the blue that's being teased. But at least both uh, the team formerly called Alphatari and Williams are going brighter versus going darker or more muted. But you're right, they, they are very similar blues that they're teasing. Uh, I, I also just wanna clean up something I said in my last uh, paragraph there, which was uh, uh, Cameron is Nicole's godson, and he's he's a small human, a small yeah, yeah. but growing human. Yes, uh, I just yeah. feel like that needed some context. Too. Um, characters of our lives, right? Right. But um, I do think that Puma might be part of this as well. Like it, it's all coinciding where Puma's their new merch sponsor. 
And then we're seeing this new blue being used. And it would make a lot of sense that this would be time where they decide to slightly shift their direction. I'm just thankful that unlike McLaren and the team formerly known as Alphatari that we're going to get to in the next segment, they're, they don't seem to be doing this like big ramp up to release. McLaren and the team formerly called Alphatari are really like broadcasting like new direction. And then I feel like I can judge whether or not that new direction is dramatic enough. Williams, it's like, that's a cool blue. Okay. It's don't need blue. the lines we're anymore. Blue, and we're still blue and it's still going to say Williams. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's Brianna cutting in here mid-edit. I want to let you know that we recorded this segment about Visa Cash Bowl. Ah! Uh, about Visa Cash App RB. There we go. All right, so it's going to take me twice. Uh, Tuesday evening, and they dropped their full new name and branding Wednesday morning. Everything we talk about is still relevant because they didn't drop anything shocking. The only difference between when we talked and now is that it is now official. So enjoy our conversation about the like kind of misstep launch that this convoluted name of a team did. I feel like we've talked a lot about rollout disasters, but we saved the biggest mess for last because last week the Avatar Instagram page became Visa Cash App RB. And it must be said that way because we've never seen it other than as an Instagram handle. And then all of a sudden the page was taken down. And then today, Tuesday, January 23rd, the page was back up as Alphatari and they posted a goodbye video and they still haven't announced Visa Cash App RB, which people think is racing bulls. <laughs> so uh, what's your take on this rollout so far, Nicole? What a mess. Oh my God, the immediate like... <laughs> Oh my god, look, look, oh, we changed our name. Oh, we got, we want to make sure that, like, the name works and this. Oh, but look away, look away, we're not gonna, we're not gonna address it. And then, like, the coming soon, and now they have, like, a BRB, like, post all happening. Um, the emotional, like, goodbye video. The first thing, all, I, I, I watched it, like, multiple times because, like, my first takeaway was, oh, my gosh, they show Patrick Dempsey before they show any of their own drivers. Like. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, and it's almost immediately, like, Patrick Dempsey, and then it's, like, Pierre Gasly, and I'm, like, this is just, like, wow. Oh, wow, we never saw it all coming, and, like, now we're all going to, like, supposed to be like buying into this reality and like living into this world where we just like don't see it all coming and like what's about to happen like okay um what a disaster of not understanding how social media works and like acting now that this is a whole big thing it's a total total mess oh i didn't i I watched the video once and my brain only thought that it was a lot of Daniel Ricardo, even though Daniel Ricardo only drove Alvatari for like eight races. Like, Alvatari became a team in 2020 where Daniel Ricardo was not at that point driving for Alvatari. He did less than a half a season. Yeah, no, it, it's, it really was like, okay, let's, what were like the moments that everyone really has thought of? And like, what was like just sitting on the desktop of like some editor's hard drive or on like their, you know, most recent file from like the last like three months of the year to like really just throw together because these clips are already edited. Um, it was, it felt, I don't know, it was really hard for me to buy. I wasn't like just buying into it, but I just also just think because people never, you can't, it was never like bought into the the, the uh, motion of the brand Alphatari of as like a racing team, you know. And I think a lot of that has to do with it being, you know, the Red Bull little sister team, um, and not around long enough to kind of uh, really like grow that kind of attachment to or have the success really to. Yeah, it. Uh... I think it doesn't help that I think the general consensus consensus was a lot of people also didn't really like the clothes they were trying to sell. But I hate the roll the fact that the rollout went out this way, because Visa being a title sponsor of a car in F one should be a big deal. That should be the we should have led with 
wow, look at Visa joining F1 as a title sponsor. Instead, we had to lead with the mess the rollout has been. So it just, it's like burying the exciting lead of, I, I'm actually, everything aside, really excited that Visa is going to be a title sponsor. Yeah, no, definitely. Like totally aside, I, I'm excited to see what I'm going to get, but I'm bummed that I didn't get like whatever the rollout was because right. there's, you know, whatever marketing team within Visa Cash App, like if that's a sick sponsor coming into it and there's a budget there to do some kind of like really cool marketing rollout material there. And I think can be cool to see like what their livery is going to be. And I think that's going to be a really awesome car launch. And like, there's an opportunity for them to do great fan things there. Um, because, you know, especially people that have like visa cards, hi, me, myself, like give me access to things. I don't know. Like there's stuff that there can be very, really cool. So a uh, big deal of having them like coming into the F1 space. And uh, at least for the time being, like, while you know Alphatari is here in whatever fashion, um, or soon to not be, like it's a cool way to have another sponsor come in. Yeah, I think uh, this team needed an injection of cash. A naming sponsorship deal is the easiest way to do that. And if you look across the grid at the types of companies that are sponsoring F1 right now, this is top of the list. Um, I think the only bigger or equivalent names are the actual car manufacturers that own teams, like the Mercedes, the Ferraris of the world. But as a title sponsor that does isn't involved in building this, like this is one of the biggest brands in the entire world. The fact that they want to invest monetarily into anything F1 just shows you the overall health of the sport. Red Bull has been trying to convince us for years that this is not a junior team, that this is a sister team, and they care just as much. This is the first actual sign I have seen of them trying to operate that way. Because them saying they're going to move operations from Italy to literally the Red Bull facility doesn't scream joint team to me. That screams junior team. Uh, having a title sponsor like Visa involved actually yeah. tells me they're trying to care about this team's performance more than they ever have before. It's making it a little more believable for me, uh, at least to the point where they are trying to build up this team to a higher value to sell it. Yeah, no, it definitely gives it like some lucrative backbone there um, to have a legitimate team and name and brand that people are familiar with and or trust and care about. Like it's not a, it's not like a fashion brand that everyone's like, I don't wear this. I don't care. Why should I care about this? Besides it being like a Red Bull fashion brand. It's like, oh, this is my credit card. That's kind of in my everyday life and very familiar to me. This is a real company, not a startup that is a subset of Red Bull. Right. Uh, yeah, I will. Um, I will completely lose my train of thought. That's what I will do. That's okay. There was there was a there was a really good point thought there. Train of thought is there. It's gone. Just like Alphatari is gone. Regulation reset is coming. I didn't realize that so many people cared so much about the Barcelona Grand Prix. Wow. Oh my god. Suddenly we have such an emotional attachment and like I mean yeah, I, it's I guess I also, wow, such a surprise. I totally didn't see this coming at all. And we definitely didn't kind of predict this and or discuss the possibility of um, Grand Prix in Madrid, you know, prior to this announcement at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, we didn't like make a video about how this was probably coming back in July and then like talk about it on an episode in December. Like, we definitely, this was a big secret that today they were announcing that starting 2026, there's going to be the Madrid GP. Yeah, uh, I think people are getting really upset about Barcelona because I, people are acting about it in like a circle fashion. I think people are using that as an opportunity to complain about street tracks. And I also, but at like the same time. All valid. 
like, right, valid. You People can have their opinions on things, but no decisions have been made about Barcelona yet is what we're being told at this time. However, in that same, like, breath, like, the calendar is huge. It's so big, and you can't, like, if Madrid is being added, I'm not saying Barcelona has to be taken away, but, like, you're going to have to be taking away other races. We can't keep growing this way. It's not going to be sustainable in that fashion. So, but... You know, Barcelona. Is, oh, sad. This is one of those topics that I feel like I don't agree with either side. Like, I if Barcelona leaves, oh, well. Like, the racing there hasn't been good as of late. It is not built for a modern F1 car. And apparently the fan experience was dreadful. If you want to hear us talk more about that, uh, we'll link in the description below the the prior video we did all about the pros and cons of a Madrid GP. So I won't rehash all of that. So I'm not upset about Barcelona leaving. I'm also not like, whoa, we definitely need a Madrid street track. This is going to be the greatest race ever. Like, but I do see the merits of like, I, I am unapologetically pro street track for a lot of reasons. I think you can build a good street track. They showed that in Vegas. The racing in Vegas was fantastic, despite the fact that it was a street track. So if they build the track well, there can be good racing. And I think the accessibility of having a race where people actually live makes motorsports more accessible for people who are not incredibly wealthy and have the ability to buy $1,000 tickets and drive to the middle of nowhere and pay those hotel prices because you have to stay at a hotel because it's in the middle of nowhere. Like, Having a race in the city means that you can keep hotel prices down for people who want to go. The people who actually live in that city can be involved in the racing. Like For a sport that is so inaccessible, street tracks do make it more accessible, which is why I will always be a street track apologist, Monaco and Vegas aside, because those two are anomalies. They're not, those are not real places <laughs> that people live. But... Uh, yeah, I, so all of this yammering is really just to say, like, I could not be more on the fence about an announcement as I am about this new racetrack. Yeah, I think I also, I'm not anti-street track as well. I think there is opportunity for it to, like, have good racing and be good racing. But always, I, there's such the glaring piece of having it being more accessible to people and like being part of the sport is like such like that that's how you can grow and continue to advance and things and i mean like look you still get to have a race in spain and like i'm not you know like the u.s continues to grow and like gets more races there and look maybe you know everyone's fantastic barcelona will be on the calendar and it'll take the juxtaposition of you know a completely different style spanish gp to like really show certain people that Barcelona isn't the way to do it. Um, but I don't think it will necessarily take that much. I There's opportunity there to really be something unique and special on the F1 calendar. And I'm, I'm awful. I'm, I, I'm, I'm leaning on the side of for it and interested, but. Uh, you know. More good than bad. More Especially good than because, bad. Yeah, we don't know if Barcelona is leaving. We got quotes today that there's no that those two are not connected, uh, according to Stefano Domenicali, who's the head of F1. I don't fully believe that. I do think that now they have more leverage negotiating with Barcelona because they know there's always going to be a Spanish GP starting in 2026. Right, right, right. But it's been so heavily reported that Barcelona refuses to update their track. And I am always firmly on the side of if... F1 is going to charge the prices it charges to attend a Grand Prix. The fan experience must be stellar. And the cost of attending the Barcelona GP is way too high for the experience people have been reportedly getting there. So what I really hope comes of this, because I don't want to lose all the historic tracks off of F1, I'm not for that at all, is that I really hope this forces the organizers of the Barcelona GP to have to upgrade their facilities in order to stay on the calendar and have to create a fan experience that is worth the thousands and thousands of dollars people have to spend to attend that race. 
And also with us getting smaller cars in 2026, which should improve racing overall, it will make Barcelona a much more relevant track again, theoretically. So I don't want to lose Barcelona, but I want everywhere that F1 fans spend their money to be worth it. Things can, Barcelona can stay and can be better if it stays and like needs to be better if it stays. I'm nervous. I'm rusty. (laughs) It's okay. We love, that's taboo. No one's ever supposed to be like not rusty at taboo. It's like kind of the point of taboo. And so we are back to playing tire taboo. So as tires, as F1 tire testing is approaching, Gridwalk has several times played Tire Taboo, which is when I get to ask Brianna questions about F1 tires, F1 tire testing, different Pirelli tires, and she has certain words that she cannot say when answering these questions. So You um, all say that talking about tires is quote-unquote boring, so Nicole makes it really hard on me to talk about tires, is the TLDR of this segment. Yes, especially when uh, when we're talking about tires and the words that Brianna cannot, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> and the words that Brianna cannot use are degradation, tire, yes, she can't say tire when talking about tire testing. Uh, we are evil here. It's the point of taboo. Pace, wet, and performance. Every time we try to cater some of the words uh, based on mostly what is relevant in the the world of the F1 tires. So it's definitely a challenge. I always think Brianna does very, very well with it. But (laughs) it's definitely a difficult task that I give her. The difficultness of this exercise will not quell my excitement for the fact that for the first time in 2024, we have cars on track. (laughs) Yes, so we are getting cars on track, and now we're about, okay, so starting now. All right, so starting next week, we have F1 cars returning back on track. Why are they coming back on track? What's happening? Um, What are we kind of looking for and waiting for and looking forward to for next week? All right, cars are back on track next week doing tire testing, specifically Uh, iron. Yep, yep. (laughs) Specifically, Ferrari is going to be testing in Barcelona with Pirelli uh, January 29th through 30th. And they're doing um, the green and blue tire testing. Um, You said tire. Ah, tire! (laughs) I'm so focused on not saying wet. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So... And then after that, uh, a week later, Mercedes and Aston Martin are going to be at a different Spanish racetrack on February 6th and February 7th, but they're doing testing for the whole range of Pirelli wheels. Wheels. See? Got it. Uh, (laughs) So some important things to know. Uh, Pirelli does testing throughout the full year. They haven't done any official testing since, I keep thinking that I can't say the word test, but I can say the word test. Um, They haven't done any official testing since after Abu Dhabi. So this is going to be the first time they are back on track in 2024, which is just exciting because cars going around in circles being fast is exciting. Um, But... uh, You asked another part of that question, and I don't remember. But that is what is going on next week and why cars are back on track is they are going to determine, uh, they're going, uh, I I can't use that word. Um, They are going to be going around in circles some more to to figure out data to to make assumptions going into this upcoming year. That that P word that everyone sees on the screen is, I keep keep stumbling around. (laughs) Assumption. Yeah, you're getting to the yeah, the word she can't say. She's trying to not say pace, but I could say pace, but Brianna cannot say pace. There's two P words and I can't say either of them, and I really, oh, would, yes, really pace need and to performance. See them. Yes, 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 yes. Both of the exact words that we need that her that she needed to say. Playing uh-huh. um, this game, you're doing great. You're doing so fabulous. That was rough. So we have, with these teams going back on track, what takeaways are they looking for? What are, you know, what are they trying to learn? 
um, during this testing period? The short, the short answer is Pirelli wants the best wheels possible and they collect data to keep making improvements. Uh, the longer, more specific answer here is there's constantly changes being made. So last year we got the new C0 and this year they're actually throwing that out. So we have pretty static car, uh, static compounds from last year to this year. They're not making a lot of huge changes, but that doesn't mean Pirelli isn't bringing new options all the time and they're not, and they're running these tests. So we can see things go better. And I think a big thing last year was that when it was raining, we were all unhappy with the performance of uh, of the, the wheels on the car. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. Um, okay. And so we were all unhappy when it was raining and Pirelli keeps trying to improve that. So the test that's happening in Barcelona with Ferrari is specifically addressing that. Mercedes and Aston Martin in the beginning of February is partially addressing that. Uh, so they're trying to bring new uh, blue and green tires. I can say inters, but I can't say the other one. You did say ah, tires. I said tires. Every time I try to avoid saying the blue tire, the blue name, I say tire, and then you hit the buzzer, and then I get sad. And every uh -huh. time I think you're just gonna do like the blue ones, like you could, you know, what I mean? like you could even ones, just say yeah. ones. You could just do. Dumb. do Everyone the knows what we're talking about. Yeah, I know. Ah. <laughs> This game is so frustrating for me because every time I get super into it and I just want to like rant about it, that's when I mess up where I'm like, ah, well, I'm getting excited because I'm talking to you all about tires. Uh, a couple other, uh, and yes, you can hit the buzzer there because even though I wasn't really answering a question, I did say the key word. Um, the, the other thing is they made a shift where they abandoned the, uh, bl the blanket free wheels a plan that was going to be implemented next year. So the entire trajectory of Pirelli's plan, like they've been working and working, working towards developing ones that don't need tire blankets and they no longer need, ah, so they no longer need to care about that. So I'm sure the dry test they're doing for Mercedes and Aston is probably going to be uh, new compounds that go in a different direction because they no longer have to develop ones that don't need that need all this extra stuff because there's no blankets this is a really hard segment for me to do i just keep saying stuff and things stuff and things stuff and things and wheels uh, but so if pirelli's trying to get as much like information as they can when they're testing tires and testing for like every single which will eventually then be for every single car on the grid why are we only getting such a handful of the teams participating, is that based on who probably decides? Is it like a, I volunteers tribute opportunity? Like what, do, I feel like wouldn't most teams want to be involved in tire testing to like help with their performance? That's what I always think. It is always shocking to me that it's the same couple of teams that run these tests. The understanding is that Pirelli sends out an email that's kind of like, we're going to be doing these tests in these places. Who wants to participate? And then teams can volunteer as tribute and participate. And I always just think they might as well because more data is more data. But it seems to always be Ferrari, Mercedes, and Aston Martin that are willing to participate in these and are the ones participating the most often. Uh, I'm sure there is a cost to participate. Uh, I will point out that they are running last year's car um, so it's not like they're getting an advantage by running um, this 2024 upcoming car for more hours and more on track time. Uh, but still, data is data. I, I don't know. It will always baffle me that not all 10 teams sign up and agree to do the tests. Yeah, especially if if we're getting in this world where we're, you know, testing, you know, what can be happening with wet tires and how prominent they were and as important they were last season, I would feel like you would want any sort of like additional information, you know, on that, especially as, you know, quality became more important. What if that same like voodoo of wet qualities continues going into this year? Like that could be a big, like, uh-oh for, for everybody. Of all the times we have played Tire Taboo, I give myself a C. I think 
maybe we'll link some below some of the other times we did this but i think i've done better and i've done much worse than that i think you're being a little hard on yourself i think i'd at least give you you're definitely in that b right you're not in the c but yeah yeah it's a hard one i mean tire's a tough one tire taboo yeah definitely check out our past episodes to see every other time brenna stepped up to the tire taboo challenge Hear ye, hear ye! On behalf of Gridwalk, please turn your attention to Brianna for a declaration made with even more passion than her already enthusiastic demeanor. Thank you, voiceover man. I wanted to talk to everyone today a little bit about what feels like the final nail in the coffin of Sports Illustrated that came out this weekend. Sports Illustrated really hasn't been the same for years since they were sold, I believe, back in 2019. But this weekend every single member or every single employee that works for sports illustrated was given notice um, that they're going to get rid of every writer photographer etc and sports illustrated is one of those things that in my childhood set the foundation for my love of sports and that might be aging me a little bit in my my nearly 30 but and I know anyone older than me, this was even more true, but even in the mostly digital era I grew up in, I so remember the Sports Illustrated magazines getting delivered to the house. And if something ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, it was the moment. There was a reason that when the Eagles finally won the Super Bowl, the first thing I did was go make sure I could pick up the Sports Illustrated from that win even though I was long past getting magazines at that point when that happened. And even though they haven't run the magazine in years and the type of reporting that used to be done via Sports Illustrated hasn't been done in years, still having digital covers come out or commemorative issues for big championship wins or big foundational moments in American sports culture predominantly was just such a big deal. And the essentially like anti-union acts that feels like it formally disbanded Sports Illustrated this weekend really got me emotional. So much so that despite the fact that Sports Illustrated never had an F1 cover for real, um, I did look it up, they had plenty of Indy 500 and NASCAR covers. Um, it still felt relevant to talk about on this sports podcast that you know our podcast is centered around both you and me, Nicole, as sports fans and the type of sports fans that we are and how we bring that to F1 and then share that with you all uh, listening to us. So it just felt like something we needed to do on this week's episode is I went in and pulled some of my favorite, some Sports Illustrated covers that either I loved or I hated for some kind of reasons or were just monumental or iconic for some reason to me because Sports Illustrated was so foundational in me celebrating my fandom and me hating people in fandom or just understanding things that came before me. So a lot of these covers I wasn't alive for, but when I looked back and was learning the history of sports, uh, it really, it cements in your brain, this was a big deal because it was on Sports Illustrated. And it makes me sad that going forward, I mean, I've been sad for years, but even more sad after this weekend that going forward, this doesn't really feel like a something that we're going to have in our sports fandom anymore. If you're listening on audio only, I recommend going over to YouTube because we'll put up on the screen all of the covers we're talking about, but we'll also do the best to explain them verbally. Now in no particular order, I present to you uh, 20 plus Sports Illustrated covers that I needed to talk about. This University of Michigan, Hail Hail, is one of the most iconic Michigan college football covers I've ever seen. This was from 1991. Uh, my dad went to the University of Michigan. And so I grew up a University of Michigan fan, go blue. Uh, and I just distinctly remember as I grew up and I started to learn more about Michigan and Michigan football, this cover is so cemented in my brain. Yeah, very relevant right now, uh, post-national championship. Talking about sports history and understanding sports history, the Michael Jordan, I'm back cover. This is a 1960s spring training Sports Illustrated cover, and it's actually illustrated because back before photography, 
the origin of Sports Illustrated is they actually illustrated what was going on. Um, so these are uh, Phillies players lounging out during spring training. It's like almost so on the nose that it's like, ah. Similarly, this is an Eagles cover um, back in the 60s. And it was, it, I just think the artwork is beautiful. Cause again, it's an illustrated photo. I pulled a couple of Serena Williams ones. This one is a more recent one, but it's all about the slam. And I just remember when this one dropped, even very recently, a Serena Williams cover is just one of those covers that I'm like, ah, yes, cause she is the goat. And every time she was on one of these covers, it was so impactful. Anytime Serena's on like the cover of anything, she's just like, such, it's like a powerhouse. Like it just, she like just it always delivers such power in anything. And it's, yeah, her covers are always one of my favorites. Brandy Chastain, sports bra in celebration after the World Cup, and just yes in giant text. Okay, couldn't do a Sports Illustrated cover roundup without talking about LeBron James, high schooler LeBron James, the chosen one, Sports Illustrated cover. It, it's really hard to explain to people now who didn't live through Sports Illustrated just how much of a kingmaker being on the cover of Sports Illustrated is. This cover of a high schooler LeBron James made such waves because this is how we got news. This is how we all learned that LeBron James was a big deal. If, unless you were like in, in basketball circles, like general public learned who LeBron James was as a high schooler because he was the chosen one anointed by Sports Illustrated, essentially. The dream team. Now we're getting to some of my favorite covers of all time here, Nicole. Ready? Oh boy. Eagles okay. time. McNabb. Right after they came back to beat the Green Bay Packers, this cover here is one of the fundamental iconic covers of my sports childhood. Oh, birds. That's, yeah, that's a great sports illustrated cover. It's like such a token, like exactly like, like great sports moments. It, it is, it is exactly what you would want on your cover. Can you see little kid me? The Eagles are good for the first time in my life, really. And like, we're doing the Super Bowl run. We had this amazing comeback against Green Bay. And then the Sports Illustrated magazine was delivered and McNabb is on the cover. Like, it's just like little kid me was like, ah, this is incredible. Yeah. This is Nick Foles in the snow right before the championship game. So this was the first playoff win with Nick Foles Super Bowl year. This photo in the snow, you get Jason Kelsey right in front of him making that fundamental block. I won't linger on this one too long because it's the Philly special. I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, what could possibly be the favorite Eagles Sports Illustrated cover for Brianna? Yeah, I mean, that's iconic. This one I own. Absolutely iconic. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, as you should. This, this one's on my wall the right over beautiful. there. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful cover. I what a shot. Uh wow. Pure magic. No, there are no Larry Bird ones in here because Boston sucks. This Michael Phelps, King of the Pool, him doing the butterfly out of the pool cover going into the 2008 Beijing Olympics is cemented in my brain forever. That's also cemented in my brain of like what a peak time of sports. And just, wow. The things I'm pulling are things that are emotional or relevant to me or taught me something. And 2008, I was 12 and I was swimming competitively. And so this all just coincided perfectly that when like this showed up at the house and this shot and I, the butterfly was my favorite stroke as a swimmer. And like, that's what he was so great at. So it's just like, it was the perfect sports storm for me as a kid. Tiger. 2019 Masters. And I pulled this one. There's so many Tiger covers and they were all relevant and exciting. Um, but this one made me particularly sad, not just because I remember that moment and Tiger's comeback at the Masters and all of this, but it just showed that Sports Illustrated was still able to make an impact with these covers despite disbanding most of their magazine uh, endeavors at this point. Like it was still poignant and important. And it, it really made, it hit home even more how sad I was about the announcement that came this weekend and everything that's going on with Sports Illustrated because they were still able to do this and make moments and have covers, even if they were digital covers that were just as impactful. Yeah, really like it makes, it pours out the wound of like not having 
or and not and will not have moving forward like the potential of an F one cover for Sports Illustrated. It's like big sad, big big sad. All right, and then the last ones I have here is I pulled some University of Miami ones. Both Nicole and I attended the University of Miami. Uh, this the first one here is the Sports Illustrated that is just a green background with white text that says why the University of Miami should drop football. Um, and I don't have time to get into the history of this cover, but this this is one of those covers, and it is so wrong. And but it, it created a sports moment, and we're like this doesn't exist anymore. The idea that a magazine could drop a headline like this and create an entire discourse, right or wrong, around it. Uh, but there's some more fun ones. You want to? We'll, we'll brush past that. Uh, how sweet it is. This is one of my favorite covers of all time. It has a University of Miami football player kissing a cheerleader right after a national championship. Like it's just, it's one of those covers, UM fan or not. It's such a feel good cover. It's such, it like reminds me of like Friday Night Lights. Like that, like that's the, like that is the exact vibe I'm getting. Like old school American football. I love, I, love, I mean, it also is like framed in the on-campus bar. So I love this cover so much, right in the feels. If this photo dropped today, there would be about 7,000 romance novels just about this cover. Yep, 100%. Miracle in Miami, another iconic University of Miami cover, and Oh My Miami. And then last but not least, 1980 U.S. men's hockey. Like I wanted to end on this one. This was very purposeful for the end because growing up, wanting to learn the history and the big moments of sports, particularly American sports, like I saw this cover so many times and it, it cemented this moment as important in sports lore, hockey fan or not. You know, it's going to be weird not to have like Sports Illustrated to continue to capture these like major moments that will be in sports, but you know, it's an end of an era. That's that's really for sure. Uh, unions are important. Uh, don't be anti-union. Uh, journalism is important. And sports photography are all important. So I hope that even though this definitely feels like the end of an established Sports Illustrated, I hope something comes up in the next couple of years that gives us the journalism and photography that Sports Illustrated gave us. <laughs> Eerie, eerie. On behalf of Gridwalk, please turn your attention to Nicole for a declaration made with even more passion than her already enthusiastic demeanor. My emotional soapbox right now that I really just kind of can't get over and thought was going to be an absolute like slam dunk no brainer was when Oscar nominations came out for 2024 was that Barbie was going to clean up and like Barbie relatively did clean up. However, I cannot get over that Margot Robbie was not nominated for Barbie. Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Barbie, which that in itself is just a big, like wrong, big, wrong, big, big, unbelievably wrong. But then in the same breath, Ryan Gosling was nominated for Ken, which and I'm not here to say that Ryan Gosling does not deserve to be nominated. That's not it. But like the irony of it all is so absolutely unbelievable that like you legitimately like Ken's day does not exist unless like Barbie does not look at him like Margot and Greta didn't are this entire cultural phenomenon that is Barbie that was Barbie that was this unbelievable renaissance that was this movie and if it did not exist without them then like none of this else would have happened. Brian Gossett wouldn't be nominated. America Frere wouldn't be nominated. The fact that this movie alone isn't nominated for makeup and costume design, like hello. It's to this day, Margot Robbie is still going to events dressed like Barbie and like copy paste images. This movie meant so much more than just like a movie about a doll. I am someone that grew up like not necessarily playing with dolls, but now like I legitimately see the meaning of what Barbie is, of what, what this movie means to like the female dollar, the female fan base, just like females in general about like what it is to be a female and just an overall person in this world. This is a spit in the face. This is, this, it, it, it is 
questions the continued like legitimacy of these awards and what they mean and different things but just like the academy missing the point the academy overall missing the point entirely it, what should have been an easy no-brainer is just a a big what the f and i it'll be painful one day to not one day it'll be painful when the inevitably like you know margot greta says something I think, you know, America Ferreira and Ryan Gosling's statements they have both individually made have, like, really summed it up very well that there is just none of this exists without them. Um, and it is just another painful reminder that even when you can have, like, such a mega blockbuster like that that can shake up, you know, the cinema industry and, like, where you think that, like, going to the movies is dead and that movie having the impact that it did, and uh, you don't even get an Oscar nomination for it. Not even like here to soapbox say they lost. Like not even a nomination. Real gross. Real, real gross. Ah. You can't that, have like you can't nominate the movie for best picture, and then not say that the two people who made that movie what that movie is aren't deserving of a nomination like why is barbie deserving of best picture nomination i don't know because the director of the world building and the woman who played barbie were fucking incredible i'll bleep myself yeah. out later I, I it is the the feminine rage is unreal because the sheer amount of people who clearly watched that movie and missed the point of the movie like we are watching the movie play out you all clearly learned nothing yeah, and I don't know if it'll, and like, there's gonna be people that like throw to the point of just like, well, you know, that's, you don't want to take away from other people that are nominated in the category. It's like, that's not like, it's like, no, Barbie no, was no, the no, biggest no, no. we're movie beyond the, the point year. of that. Barbie, exactly. Like, if it's, if it's Barbie and it's Oppenheimer, like, this, that's what's gonna be cleaning up at these things. And now here, the funniest thing is going to be like, for best original song i'm just ken and what was i made for are both nominated can you imagine like the world where i'm just ken like wins this award over like there's i'm angry i'm frustrated and it's not like they're i mean they backtrack on such random things ever but nothing ever like this so big bummer it should be like an obvious thing here it's clear where we fall you know what I really hate? I don't like living in the Barbie movie anymore. This is our whole life. I don't like living in it anymore. I want to live in, in, in Barbie land. I don't want to live in the real world. Yep, yep, no, we're living. The Oscars is officially a Mojo Dojo Casa house. It's the final lap hitting every F1 garage. Get ready for this week's Yellow Sector Notes. All right, deep breath, because this is, need to get it right the first time. Red Bull and Visa Cash. I stumbled. Okay, Red Bull and Red Bull and Visa Cash App RB is sponsoring three cars instead of two cars in the F1 Academy this year. Mercedes signed James Allison to a contract extension as technical director through the beginning of the 2026 regulations. Ferrari teased something to do with water, but I'm unclear. Maybe we'll know by the time you all hear this episode. Australia is back with McLaren as their beer sponsor for 2024. Honda rebrands and reorganizes their engine team going into the 2026 regulations to incorporate their U.S. branch more. Pierre Gasly did a shoot with the sunglasses company Hawkers. Williams teased their 2024 team kit. It's their first year with Puma, so it's going to look a little different. Uh, Alvatari, the team that will soon be Visa Cash App RB. Got it the first time that time. Uh, but at the time was Alvatari put their Vegas GP liveried car in a nightclub for New Year's Eve. Uh, Zhou Guan Yu visited Shanghai Disneyland for the Zootopia Park launch. He even dressed up as one of the characters. He was a really good Disney bound. I really liked it. And finally, Haas announced American Chloe Chambers as their F1 Academy entrance for the 2024 F1 Academy season. That was the grid walk for January 25th, 2024 completed. How was my sector time today, Nicole? Faster than Alphatari or Visha Cash App RB realized that they leaked their rebrand. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Gridwalk. Thank you to our co-creators, Nicole Katz and Brianna Klein. Thank you to our four-legged executive producers and me, voiceover man. Don't forget to subscribe, like the video, turn on auto downloads, and leave a review to provide us with a fresh set of tires for the next week's show. You can follow us on social media at Gridwalk Show for daily content. We will be back to walk the Formula One grid every Thursday, and we will see you for the post-Gridwalk debrief in the comments. Today felt like we spent hours archiving photos on social media and not a Gridwalk.